0: To another edition of the- Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where we find all sorts of stuff along the roads in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick.
1: And I'm Julia.
0: And today we're talking about Minute 5, which begins with Max watching all of his worldly possessions disappear in a trail of dust. And it ends with Max catching sight of a settlement in the distance. And as far as we're concerned, that's not the only thing we're catching sight of. Curtis Blaze is back.
2: Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me back.
0: Hey, Curtis. We are starting off today... With Max standing at the top of the ridge where we left him yesterday, and he is just, like I said, watching everything he owns, everything that he has collected over 15 years of wasteland wandering and picking his life up from having next to nothing after Road Warrior, and he's just watching it roll away.
1: Yes, he is.
0: From noon to sunset (laughs) in a couple of minutes. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Either
2: that or he's been chasing the thing and pretty much keeping up With the plane circling overhead for hours.
1: Oof. That does kind of make sense. Because who knows how far out into the middle of nowhere he was. We have no idea how long he's been chasing the camels in the cart. And how far he was originally away from Potter Town.
0: It's nice to see that the inconsistency of sun position was held over from Road Warrior. (laughs) The idea that they really didn't care where the sun was. Yes. If it made a good shot, they used it. Continuity be damned.
1: I can appreciate that. For most of the time, it didn't bother me in Road Warrior. And so far, it really didn't bother me in this scene either.
2: No, and really, he's got more of an artistic flair. Mm -hmm. So everything does serve the story. The sun is setting as he's watching his cart get away from him finally. It works.
0: Yeah. Now, I was looking at this shot, and if the sun is setting, the direction that plane is going as it swoops over Max's head, I'd say it's probably maybe like north-ish, maybe off in a northwesterly maybe like a north by northwest situation Mm. as it swoops down over our hero definitely well and then in the
2: very next shot the uh the shadows are going the other way suggesting that you know it does look like the next morning suggesting that he was still going north
0: it does also explain how max was able to pick up so much if he was walking overnight to try and collect all of these things. By the time he gets to Barter Town, that explains why he has 10 guns and 14 knives and a Geiger counter and all that other stuff.
2: I find it particularly interesting that the bosun
0: whistle, the bosun call, was stuck in his boot. Yeah. That seems like an odd place to keep a whistle.
1: Okay, I have a little mini-theory about the boot whistle situation. Mostly because when Max stops and picks the whistle out of the boot, he's holding it like he's never seen it before.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So
1: I think that those were not his boots that he was like wearing they were boots that he had found somewhere and was either saving for later when he would need them or was using them for trade. I think the boots that he was wearing day to day were probably next to him in the front of the cart. I don't think these were his boots.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point because there's a really good chance that cobbling is one of those professions where, yes, it's incredibly important, but it's also very specialized. And so in an apocalyptic situation, you're not going to find a shoemaker every little raider settlement you come across. So when you find shoes, I mean, they fit him in this situation, so he's probably doing a John McClane type thing where every time he comes across a dead wastelander, pulls off their boots, holds them up against the bottom of his foot. If they fit, they go in the cart.
1: Huh.
2: Interesting. I'm sorry. I have to be that guy. (laughs) was in the navy he picks up that whistle and there's a very specific way that you have to blow in that whistle in order to make the sound and he knows how to do it
1: that kind of goes into my second theory the way that he blows the whistle it's like a two-tone i wonder if that whistling was meant for sally ann
2: that's what i was wondering too yeah oh
1: so those are my two theories that are completely separate from each other completely opposite
2: I just want to say before we go on, because that's what I thought too, Julia, that the whistle was something he kept in his boots so that he could always summon the monkey.
1: But I stand by, I don't think those are his boots.
2: (laughs) But the thing he actually does with that whistle is a very specific Navy call. He's first calling attention, and then he's piping colors.
1: Really? Mm, Interesting.
2: He's like, (whistles) attention, and then he's going like... That's the whistle he makes, and that is a very specific Navy thing.
1: So you think he's calling Sally Ann?
2: I don't really know what to think. It's weird. I would think that, okay, first of all, it's a very shrill whistle. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a very loud whistle because it's meant to be heard all over a whole giant ship. Yep. From wherever you are below decks or whatever. So it would be very good for summoning a monkey from many, many miles away. But then you throw in that he's doing a very specific Navy thing with a very specific way of having to hold that whistle to make those noises. That confuses me. (laughs) He He was never a sailor.
1: Right. He would have had to be taught that.
0: Right. Okay. Julia, you know how I used to do this thing back in season two where I'd play the what if game and I'd talk about, you know, what if this happened instead of this? I want to amend the what if game to wonder there's 15 years of story that we lost. I wonder maybe he got that whistle from someone who was in the Navy, maybe in his travels. Let's say he goes up to one of the coasts of Australia, and he connects with another wastelander who was like a ship captain. And this ship captain, I don't know, let's just say it's like Kevin Costner in Waterworld or something dumb like that. (laughs) But he's connecting with all of these different people over this more than a decade of lost time. And so in this trading that he's done with one of these coast wastelanders. He probably picked up the whistle then, probably learned a couple of things from dealing with these people. I'd like to think he went up to the northern coast because those macaw monkeys are more common in Southeast Asia than Australia normal. So maybe he hooked up with a guy who has a boat that goes out and sails the post-apocalyptic seas Trading Between Continents. And that's just one of the things that he picked up. And not only just picking up the whistle, but picking up the calls specifically.
2: Okay, first of all, you just awakened a thirst in me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see, now that... Pretty much the lawsuit is taking place and George Miller is getting screwed over and he's 90 years old, whatever the situation is there. I want an expanded universe similar to the Star Wars universe, except in this post-apocalyptic Mad Max world. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even have to be about Mad Max. It can be about, you know, the rise of Immortan Joe. It could be you know, any of this, how Auntie Entity really built this thing out of the desert with their own hands, how this world is really functioning.
0: That story specifically about Auntie Entity and how she built Barter Town up out of nothing is the number one expanded universe story that I want to see right before anything about imperator furiosa before anything about any sort of adaptation from the dark horse comics into film i want to see a story about how and this is something that we'll talk about i think week five or something like that how the day before the collapse auntie was no one but on the day after the collapse she was still alive and she fought tooth and nail to get from that point to being on top of Bartertown. And I want that
2: story so bad. I'm just going to take this a little bit further beyond yours. Amorton Joe, mm-hmm. the bullet farmer. Mm-hmm. Who are they to Barter Town right now? They're in the world. Mm. Is it possible that somebody like that was a guard for Auntie Entity? I'd like to think that Immortan Joe learned from her and put that knowledge to use elsewhere since the citadel is so similar in structure to Bartertown, you know built on a giant mesa mm.
1: i can definitely see that max isn't the only one who's bouncing from place to place trying to make things work and changing how he lives his life accommodating his circumstances yeah. everybody is doing that so it's so plausible that there's a connection between inhabitants of Bartertown and people associated with the citadel
0: yeah i'm looking on the mad max wikia right now i'm trying to see because they have a whole page dedicated to the timeline of events in the rebooted franchise and in the world of Fury Road, everything that happened in those first three movies absolutely still happened. But I don't think it connects Immorton Joe to Barter Town at all because Immorton Joe was more or less a... I think a military leader mm. trying to find it.
1: If Immortan Joe was former military, it would make mm. sense that he may have been perhaps a guard for Auntie Entity. Maybe that's where he got his start. Mm. He would have seen the lifestyle that she led, which was very untouched by the dirt and chaos of post-apocalyptic life. She had clean linens and fresh water and perfectly ripe fruit. Things that nobody else had.
2: Right. And maybe
0: he got used to that and that's why he's the farmer. Yeah. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Reading on the wiki right now. After Beyond Thunderdome, Max wanders out into the wasteland yet again, still clinging onto the past. He is hellbent on rebuilding his Interceptor. He finds his way into Gastown. So Gas Town exists more or less in tandem with barter town
2: and they have their own thunderdome
0: and max fights against a gang called the buzzards in something called thunderdome plus which wins him a boss 351 v8 engine for the rebuilding of his interceptor the thunderdome battle is hosted by dr dealgood in the comics i'm talking about the vertigo comics specifically here So upon winning, Max is attacked by the Buzzards, his vehicle is taken, and he's left to die. Familiar story. He then meets up with... A mysterious woman and her daughter Glory. There's this whole thing with the Buzzards Hideout. That story specifically leads into Fury Road. So I think there are two Max comics that tell that story, bridging the gap between Thunderdome and Fury Road. And then there's one Nux story that tells the story of Nux and Immortan Joe. And then there's one Furiosa comic book that tells the story of how she hatches the plan to bust the wives out. Well, I know what I'm buying at Amazon tonight. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure you can buy all three. Well, no, it's three stories. You can buy all four comic books all in one package. And I think it's only like 20, 25 bucks. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. The artwork is gorgeous, too. But boy, does this lead to questions.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. May pose more questions.
2: Where is the black on black for this whole movie?
1: Right. I thought we were done with the Interceptor, and then it pops back up.
0: Like I said, that's explained in the comic books, the okay. idea that he rebuilds it, which is why it looks slightly different in Fury Road.
1: But from what? Sand?
0: <laughs> well, that's why he goes to Gas Town because there's like car parts and whatnot. Oh. Max knew that Interceptor inside and out so well over the two years that he spent between the first movie and the second movie that he could probably go back and rebuild it himself. It's that whole idea like in Galaxy Quest where Saris is like, are you mean to tell me that a commander does not know every bolt, every nut in his ship or something like that?
2: But does that mean that he, like how long did he look for headlight lenses that were broken exactly the same way? <laughs> 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 no, I'll buy it, though. I'll allow it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I kind of see what else does he have to do with his time. I mean, once he's surviving, after that, you have spare time. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you got to fill it somehow.
0: At this point in the movie, this minute specifically, all he can do is just walk. And I like that about Max. The fact that you cannot really kill Max because he's just going to keep going going. Max was completely robbed of all of his earthly possessions. He's got no shoes. He's just got the clothes on his back. And you know what? He's going to keep walking. He knows what direction his wagon is heading in. He can see the dust rising for however long. And there's an item trail left by his monkey. And so he's going to walk. And probably the whole time he's planning what he's going to do with the guy who stole his wagon.
1: Probably. This did bring up a question in my mind how this incident ranks on his scale of deadliness. He has faced deadly situations before. He has almost died several times that we have seen, let alone the 15 years that we haven't seen. So I wonder how this incident being stranded in the desert ranks on his particular scale of deadliness.
2: Hmm. If you're asking both of us to weigh in on this, Yeah. I think he's just casual with it. He's got a set of tracks to follow. He knows that they've got to go somewhere. All he's got to do is just follow the tracks.
0: Yeah. I think this is probably about on par as far as deadliness is concerned with him taking the gas out of the compound to go retrieve the big rig. Like, he doesn't know exactly how he's going to get there, but he's got an end goal. I mean, this. Situation, the end goal is constantly moving, but he's got a track he can follow. And sure, he's on foot. It's not the best situation, but at least he's not huddling behind a rock, (laughs) bleeding out of his head and everything like that. Right. Right. Well, okay. How does he not know about Bartertown?
1: The same way he didn't know about the compound. Yeah. The wasteland is just so vast that you don't know about these things. I guess, I mean, I had the same question when we were introduced to the concept of the compound. Like, how did he not know about it?
0: Now that I think of it, that wagon, when Jedediah stole it, he didn't turn it around. That wagon was more or less heading in the same direction... That Max was heading. Maybe Max did know about Bartertown. Yeah, maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he heard about it and, and he was going there to trade.
1: Right. And knowing or not knowing about it, I don't really think changed how deadly the situation was. Either he would be able to walk to Bartertown before dying or not, whether he knew it was there or not. He was going to follow the track, it was going to Bartertown. Sure. He was either going to make it or not.
0: Yeah. I believe that he knew of the town by reputation, Mm. so he was heading in that general direction.
2: And if the monkey was emptying everything, probably there was a good can of monkey food. (laughs) Yeah. Somewhere along the line that he could eat with his giant... Oh, that wasn't his giant spoon. That he could eat. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Let's hope so.
0: If there's any food that he would try and find again and hold on to, it's those good old reliable cans of dinky-dye dog food. <laughs> dinky-dye dog food. It's the real deal.
2: <laughs> Second 52 in this minute mm-hmm. is so the opening scene from Fury Road. Yes. I almost expected the lizard, a two-headed lizard to crawl up that he's he <laughs> <songs> on.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It would have been perfect. Mm-hmm
2: that and a western
1: yes that's what i had down on my notes Big it's a classic of. western mm-hmm. hero shot reveal shot
0: it's the blowing cape mm-hmm. like him like starting yep. with the cowboy boots He's got the six gun on his hip. Yeah. The whole deal. Yep. This is definitely mm, the most, uh, do I want to say ragged that we've seen Max look? I mean, obviously in the first movie, he was very put together. He had his very straight uniform, all leather, very shiny. Probably smelled pretty bad. <laughs> well, depending on if he was wearing the vinyl or the leather that day. <laughs> but in the second movie, it was more or less that same uniform, beaten up. He lost the arm off the jacket and he was wearing the leg brake and whatnot still pretty slick i think here it's very it's it's got a lot of cloth to it this still has <laughs> That's to what be i'm trying to say
2: this still has to be the leathers under there it has to be because he because he still got him
0: in the next movie yep he still has the jacket still has the jacket there's that much at least these pants are definitely leather are they not they're shiny Leather is definitely durable, so.
1: I think it's plausible that it's the same pair of pants. Probably extensively repaired, but it's plausible it's the same pair of pants.
2: (sighs) I don't know, that's a tall order though. I'm getting back to this second again. I just got to see this again because I think the light (laughs) shines off it as if it's leather. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Well, even if it's not the same pair of pants, He has enough experience with proper leather to know that it's the best material for durability.
2: Yeah. Oh, it is definitely leather. Okay.
1: So if he lost his first pair, realistically, this wouldn't be his second pair. It'd be his fifth pair, sixth pair. They're durable, but...
0: How long do leather pants last? Do they last over a decade? Probably not.
1: Yeah, that that seems to be pushing it. I don't know.
0: I'm willing to bet there are a set of wasteland skills that most wastelanders pick up over time. Sewing, probably one of them. Textile making, though, not. I mean, textile making is tricky. You need a lot of equipment for that. That's not something you can just do unless you're knitting.
2: But tanning a hide now on the other And all you need is something to cut with. Well, tanning skills, obviously. But then from there, you just need something to cut with to make a pattern and something to sew with. And you got pants.
0: Mm -hmm. So I imagine those instances where he's got to revamp his wardrobe... I mean, obviously, the first thing you're going to do is try and find another wastelander that wasn't so lucky. And then if that fails, you gather up materials you can make your own.
1: Oh, I expect he traded for them. Yeah, that makes sense. He has a very specific set of skills.
0: That make him a danger to people like us?
1: Yes. (laughs) And he (laughs) is smart enough to use those skills to trade for what he needs. Like, Road Warrior, he knew he couldn't make gas. He didn't have the skills or the supplies. Even if he had the supplies, he didn't have the skills. But he could trade his strategic mind and knowledge and willingness for violence in exchange for gasoline. So you do the same thing for pants.
2: That makes sense to me.
1: That's what society is built on, is, oh, hey, I can make really good pants. And you have a cow, so let's trade milk for pants. That's society right there.
0: Did you all catch the Tarantino shot somewhere around second 22, 24, somewhere in there where it's just Max walking along the desert barefoot? Oh, that's
1: right in his bare feet.
0: Right on his bare feet.
1: Yes. <laughs> you know, I saw in your notes about here comes the Tarantino shot and I'm not a connoisseur of directors. I can't identify things by who directed them. I, this is not... <laughs> That's you. I can't do that. I thought you meant the Western shot with the boots and the cape and the blowing in the wind. I thought you meant that that was the Tarantino shot. (laughs) (laughs) Hateful Eight. Exactly.
2: <laughs> Here's what I appreciate. At first, when I was watching this, I was like, oh, God, bare feet and leather
1: boots. Oh, yeah, no.
2: Have you guys ever worn leather pants? Have you guys ever owned leather pants?
1: Uh, no. Okay. Uh, Rick wears chaps, but...
2: But I always wear but denim you know, underneath. He's yeah. got his jeans on. I was in a band. I did have a pair of leather bands. <laughs> <laughs> Those are not things that you want to wear for longer than an hour. I can't imagine being in the desert and wearing leather pants. Just, I just can't. I know it looks cool, and I know it's a callback to his police leather days and stuff, but man, I would, ugh, that would just be awful. You would just be chafing. There would be nothing, ugh.
0: Mm-hmm. They don't breathe.
1: What movie did we watch over Hyatt's Oh, it was Commando,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where salesman was selling a Buick or Cadillac?
0: Oh, he was selling a Cadillac. He was
1: selling a Cadillac, and the selling point was that the seats were vinyl as opposed to leather. Like, real leather was bad, and these seats were better because they were vinyl.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, for that guy's decision to try and sell vinyl over leather, he got run over through a plate glass window, so... Yes,
1: he did. Right.
0: He got what was coming to him. Great show, by the way, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We had a lot of fun watching Commando. That was a really fun It movie. sounds like you did.
1: Yeah. So
2: I was backing up because I wanted... Because I got sidetracked by the whole concept of wearing leather pants. He's walking through the desert barefoot, and then he's going to put on leather boots, and, and it's kind of the same thing. I'm just thinking, oh my god, ugh. I... Had boots when I was younger and, and wearing them barefoot. First of all, once you got them in, which was real hard, you weren't getting them back out, especially if you weren't wearing socks because you would now sweat it and then dried and then shrunk and it was just awful. Yeah. But I notice these have holes drilled in the side for breathing as if someone is used to wearing them without socks.
1: Well, considering the circumstances, the whole post apocalyptic thing, socks wear out fast. Mm -hmm. so to be able to replace socks is a luxury
0: it's like you said making textiles is no easy feat pardon the pun it was unintentional
1: (laughs) even in our society now to a lot of people replacing your socks is something that just can't happen all the time people wear holy socks all the time because you just can't replace them so those would be kind of one of the first things to go.
0: Yeah, especially considering when you do replace those socks, oftentimes they come in like a 12-pack, and then they wear out faster than you'd like. Yeah.
2: God, you know, Julia, that's really really bumming me out now. I, <laughs> I've always my whole life no, fantasized about wanting to like live by my wits in the post-apocalyptic world. Kind of always mentally prepared for that day I get to get the first V8 running and go out marauding. And now I'm thinking, that is, I, I don't, I don't want to live in a world without socks.
1: Right. You don't think about the little things.
2: I want to be at ground zero when the bombs
0: go off now.
1: Okay, just quick. You think socks run out fast? <laughs> you know what else runs out fast? Underwear.
0: Ugh. Oh, You want to talk about chafing. Especially leather pants. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so you better believe that none of those people are wearing underwear. And yep. haven't been for 15, at least 15, 17 years.
2: Just imagine the smell in Bartertown. Right. Just imagine what that must smell like.
0: Well Somewhere in the wasteland there exists a sheep farm. I imagine that there is a post apocalyptic New Zealand where they are just rolling in wool and they just have the most luxurious underwear and socks and clothing and whatnot. And they're it's looking so across hot. to the water at Australia in their post apocalyptic situation without socks, without underwear, and they're probably just laughing it up. <laughs> Probably. I know where I'm going after the apocalypse.
1: (laughs) We're going to New Zealand. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You just pray they don't have a black sheep situation. Have you ever heard of that movie, Black Sheep?
1: Oh my gosh, you made me watch this movie. Yep.
0: Please tell me you're doing that as a movie.
1: I remember that. That was a billion years ago that you made me watch that movie. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Scientists try to build the ultimate sheep and it turns out to be a zombie sheep and Suddenly the entire country of New Zealand is overrun by zombie sheep, and it's amazing. Isn't that just always how it happens? I'd have to do some sort of justification for throwing that into the hiatus list. We're going to have a long we'll find a connection. span of time between Fury Road and maybe Mad Max Wasteland if it ever comes out. I don't know if we'll keep doing hiatus stuff at infinitum, but, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Allow me to just officially on the air, please beg for Megaforce.
0: You know, I was unaware of Megaforce until it was mentioned. And I think it was actually you that mentioned it in the listener page. It was. <laughs> And now that I am aware of it, I absolutely put it on the list. I have a running list of hiatus material, and as soon as you mentioned it, I threw it on there. Great. I can't wait. So,
2: anyone who's listening right now, you've got to go to their Patreon and donate so that you can hear this. <laughs> it's going to be fabulous.
0: I really like despite the continuity errors involved in the position of the sun i really like the shot at about 42 seconds where it's just max standing on this horizon where the ground is really dark and he's just a shadowy outline and then you've got the sky above it that shot is so evenly drawn out and it's just does such an amazing job of highlighting how isolated max is at this point
2: well you know the thing i really appreciate about this movie is the way that The Wasteland really is a wasteland in this movie. Mm -hmm. It was in The Road Warrior, but when you really examine The Road Warrior, it was full of green.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes.
2: Now it is just sepia-toned.
1: Yeah, this is definitely a new level. And something I noticed partially in minute four, some in minute five, is the didgeridoo music accentuates the vastness and makes you feel like he is... Isolated and alone and in this absolute wasteland. It really drives home that emotion.
2: Also, it was capitalizing on the time. I don't actually know how old you guys are, but do you remember the sort of (laughs) Australia craze we went through in the eighties?
0: The big Ozploitation blooms. Uh
1: when this movie came out, Rick was not born yet. Oh my god.
2: It was
0: everywhere.
1: Yeah.
2: There were didgeridoo's in every commercial. And hearing it in here, it was just no big deal back at the time.
0: I like to imagine, because we never really see any distinctly aborigine character in the Mad Max series of movies. And so I like to imagine that the world has ended. The colonizers have gone crazy. They've turned into raiders and they're trying to rebuild society. And then you've got all these aborigines that are just carrying on the same way they have been for thousands of years. And they're just watching all of these confused white people running around the continent.
2: We talked about this in Minute 25 last season. Oh, yeah? You know, where are the aborigines? There we go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the same holds true all around the world. There are communities and societies and entire civilizations that are just doing their own thing, living their own culture completely away from our modern society and an apocalypse like this might not make that much of a difference to them
0: this didgeridoo that we hear might be diegetic there might be just an aborigine guy sitting on the ground as this wagon rolls by <laughs> and he's just playing his didgeridoo watching these people run to and fro
1: yeah there you go <laughs> i like it
2: i'm so glad george lucas didn't make this movie then because it would be in a cgi aborigine mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Yes. And he'd be
2: prominently (laughs) featured in the foreground, swinging this thing around, making the noise. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Edna Mode would be very unimpressed with Max's cape.
0: Oh, certainly.
1: She would disapprove. And I'm trying to think forward, and I'll try and keep it in mind as we go through the minutes, if his cape ever affects him negatively.
2: Along the same lines, but he's adopted like a Bedouin-style robe to keep him out of the sun to keep air flowing between his skin and the outside so that he can stay cool, yet he's wearing leathers underneath it.
1: That's contradictory. But at least
0: he has the good sense to take what other cultures had learned and apply it to his own situation. He probably, in that 15 years, either read a book or ran into someone who had experience with Bedouin culture.
1: You know, the more we talk about it, the more I want to know what he's been up to the last 15 years.
2: There's really a lot of evidence for him going up to Asia.
1: Yeah, who says he stayed on the continent? He could have traveled further abroad and then really wanted to return to his homeland, and so he came back.
0: Mm -hmm. One detail from the end of this movie, and a detail that is sort of continued in the 2015 video game, is the idea that all of the oceans have receded, and that a lot of Ah. the areas that were once flooded by ocean are now left dry land because as we see Sydney at the end of this movie it's completely dried out like we're flying through Sydney harbor below the waterline oh. and in the Mad Max video game you're driving through these vast spaces that look like dried out coral oh. the idea that you can go off the coast of the continent and keep driving to other continents
1: that makes so much sense
2: I didn't realize that they'd already did something like that in this movie.
1: Yeah, I'd noticed that scene before, but it never occurred to me what that meant for the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, it's very smoky and very hazy Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie. And so it makes for a striking visual, but it makes for an even more, I'll say, somewhat alarming realization of the state of the world. So where did he meet up with the sailor then?
1: Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. So he could have met up with that sailor anywhere because the sailor was probably not sailing the seas going from place to place he He was was probably
0: living in a boat that was suddenly on dry land
1: yeah (laughs) Or, or maybe
2: the sailor was like okay i'll trade you this monkey for something Oh, and this whistle goes with him. It calls him. (laughs) Here's how you use it. Could have been that simple.
0: I still love the idea of him using that whistle in conjunction with Sally Ann, because for anyone that's familiar with The Sound of Music, that musical, Captain Von Trapp has his children trained to respond to the different naval calls of that whistle. Oh, nice.
1: I was actually a little disappointed that you made the reference in your notes, because I wanted to make the reference, (laughs) because it's one of my favorite movies.
2: I don't really think there's a question. I think we've cracked that code. I think the whistle is for Sally.
1: I agree. Evidence is all there.
2: That's why he knows how to use it. Yada yeah. And maybe he's, maybe at this point right now, he's even trying to call the monkey to him.
0: You know, it's too bad there's such a great time difference between the story of The Sound of Music and the story of Mad Max. Because the Vaughn Traps, that's, you know, 1940s and Mad Max, I would say, like, maybe, like, late 90s early turn of the millennium and so there's no chance that max would be wandering the wasteland and suddenly run into the von trapp family singers and they're still wandering the world with their gaggle of kids and guitar and whatnot and trading songs for supplies
1: no i think that's plausible
0: Maybe not first generation Von Traps, maybe like second generation Von Traps. Well,
1: they were in like the 40s, and the kids ran all the way down to like five years old.
0: Okay, so maybe like some of the younger kids.
1: And they, in real life, Maria and the captain had kids.
0: So they had more than just the They
1: had more si- than just the oh, five, six. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's the 40s. There's no birth control. That's and she true. was a young woman.
0: She was also a nun, so would she know about that? <laughs> That's, that's a Anyways, whole other thing. I find that
1: plausible, <laughs> that he met the Vontraps and <laughs> learned about the whistle from them, and maybe he did them some good deed. And as repayment for that, he gave them Sally Ann and the whistle that goes with her.
0: Gosh. You can just imagine Max sitting in that wagon thinking, how do you solve a problem like Humongous? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I thought of this earlier. I didn't want to bring it up because it seemed crazy, but now since you've just tipped over crazy and spilled it all over this minute, (laughs) why not the monkey from 1940
0: in Raiders of the Lost Ark? That's right.
1: Do monkeys live that long? I don't know.
0: One of those monkeys ate a bad date and died. Oh. But...
1: Are there other monkeys that survive...
0: That was a big marketplace. Probably a lot of monkeys.
1: Well, yes. And
2: this monkey is acting a lot like those monkeys.
1: Yes.
0: Maybe a trained monkey from that marketplace sold around the world. This monkey could be a (laughs) descendant monkey of that Indiana Jones monkey.
2: What are we doing?
0: (laughs) You know, we are... I like to use the phrase, we're getting off the rails but we're going to find at the end of this movie that things stay pretty on the rails for most of that climax. So I'll just say that we're going to put a pin in the situation. We're leaving Max Standing at the top of a ridge, overlooking what appears to be a lot of people all walking in one direction towards what could be a settlement. There's a big old column of smoke rising. So, what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back for now. And when we come back next time, we'll figure out where all these people are going and what kind of place we can expect to find at the end of that trail. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: Join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the
1: donate link. Thank you for joining us for Minute 5 of Beyond Thunderdome. See you next time.